0: Hello and welcome to episode eight of The Roadmap, the podcast on best practices and trending topics in auto finance. I'm Emma Sandler, your host and associate editor of Auto Finance News. This podcast comes from the Center for Auto Finance Excellence, the industry resource for auto finance professionals, which is generously supported by Fiserv. Today, we have Dama Brown, the Regional Director of the Federal Trade Commission Southwest Region, to discuss updates from the FTC on compliance, the current relationship with the CFPB, and what court cases the auto industry should be looking at. Welcome, Dama, and let's begin. You've been with the FTC since 2006, What can you tell us about how things have changed over that time when it comes to auto lending?
1: Well, I would say that auto lending the auto lending industry has always been super competitive and very highly regulated. And obviously that has not changed at all over the last decade. What has been uh, changing and what's been interesting to watch I think is how the new FinTech firms are affecting the industry. Um, just like they've come in to affect the mortgage industry or personal loans or student loaning, uh, student loan industry, FinTech firms uh, have been making some strides into Uh, impacting the auto purchase, refinance, and and title loans. And I think that they're uh, making some changes to make things more streamlined. We're hoping that they'll create some innovation and, and more competition, but I think that that's something that's been really interesting to watch over the last 10 years.
0: Okay. Could you detail for us the relationship the FTC has with the Bureau of Consumer Protection and how it currently differs from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau? With the changes taking place at the CFPB, any ideas on whether this affects the BCP and its current responsibilities?
1: So uh, the Federal Trade Commission is made up of three bureaus. There's the Bureau of Consumer Protection, there's the Bureau of Competition, and then there's the Bureau of Economics. And so uh, BCP, the Bureau of Consumer Protection, is just one of the the three bureaus within the FTC. And it's the one that is is focused on um, uh, consumer protection issues. The Bureau of Economics does uh, economic studies. They they, uh, weigh in on cases both on the competition side and the consumer protection side. They help uh, determine consumer injury. They consider how uh, different policies might impact uh, marketplace decisions differently. And then our Bureau of Competition does the antitrust side of things. And I work in uh, the Consumer uh, Bureau of, of Consumer protect, protection. Um, so it's just one of the bureaus within the FTC. The FTC is a—it's over a hundred-year-old agency. So it was started by Woodrow Wilson back in the early 1900s, and it's led by an independent board of uh, five commissioners, no three of which can be from any one political party. So it really is a very um, a political uh, agency it's it's governed by these five commissioners historically it's been governed primarily by um, consensus you know it's an agency that has always sh- worked hard to make decisions and to proceed in a way that all five of its commissioners are in agreement with. The CFPB, of course, is a much younger agency. It was introduced just about six years ago under the Dodd-Frank Act, and it's headed up by one director, um, which I think leads it to be maybe a little bit more... um, I guess I would say nimble. You know, you, you one director can make a change or can make changes in policy or direction much uh, more swiftly than a, a five-member apolitical political body would do so I think those are some of the key differences between the two agencies but we work very collaboratively with the CFPB Uh, we have overlapping authority on a number of of areas including on on debt collection and and a number of finance issues we confer with them when the CFPB is engaged in rulemaking if they're issuing reports or doing some type of study we usually will reach out to them and share our insight from our hundred plus years of of, um, consumer protection work um, and, and likewise, the CFPB converse with us if they're faced with, a, you know, enforcement action or they're considering um, a rulemaking or, or making some, doing a workshop, they work very well with us as well. Uh, when Dodd-Frank was created, interestingly, um, the FTC was given uh, exclusive rulemaking authority to address unfair deceptive practices Relating to the sale, finance, or leasing of automobiles. So the auto lending industry is one where the the FTC really has maintained its primary authority uh, compared to the CFPB, which, you know, has has authority over so many of the other consumer protection issues.
0: And would you mind providing a brief overview of your own particular responsibilities within this?
1: So I'm the regional director for the southwest region of the FTC. My office is based in Dallas, Texas. I have a, a staff of about 16 folks, including 12 lawyers, uh, two, two investigators, and two support staff members. And primarily what we do is enforcement. So we bring the commission's law enforcement activities. And we do them across all of the commission's, um, all of the Bureau of Consumer Protection's areas of interest. So we do some advertising cases, some enforcement cases, marketing practices cases, Um, you know, one case might be debt collection, another case might um, deal with an illegal pyramid. Really a a wide range of consumer protection um, law enforcement actions we handle. We also do some consumer and business uh, education and outreach, so we'll meet with consumer groups or uh, industry groups to talk about their rights or responsibilities.
0: Are there any civil or federal court cases that the auto industry should perhaps keep an eye on right now?
1: We have a number of cases, I think, that will be interesting to, um, to be watching as they come out. They're, they're non-public matters now that I can't speak about. But I would want the auto industry to be aware of the Commission's recent case against Blue Global LLC. And that case related to deceptive lead generation practices. And it's an interesting case, I think, for the auto lending industry because it is a competitive in- industry, and and um, businesses are often, you know, trying to to find new sources for finding consumers. Um, and in this case, the FTC sued a lead generation company, and we alleged that the company had misled consumers who were filling out loan applications online. They had a number of uh, internet websites, uh, and they were advertising that they would connect consumers who completed these applications with a network of over 100 different lenders and that this would help consumers to get a loan that best fit their needs, you know, with the best terms available to them. Uh, They made a number of promises to consumers including um, they promised consumers that, you know, obviously they would get great terms by applying through there, but also that the consumer's personal information that they were submitting as part of the uh, loan application process would be protected, and that it would only be shared with other trusted lending partners. In fact, um, the commission's investigation found that the company was not generally selling the loans to lenders. Instead, they were selling them to telemarketers and other third parties that were not going to be offering consumers loans at all. Of the 15 million loan applications that this company took from consumers, only 2% were ever actually placed with lenders. 98% were sold to non-lenders. And this is consumers' private information, including Social Security numbers and bank account numbers. And that information, you know, was should have been protected and consumers gave it trusting the company that it was only going to be sharing it with, you know, lending for for purposes of obtaining a loan. And so I think that's an interesting case because it does show that, um, you know, lead generation is an area that the commission is actively enforcing and we're, we're taking a, a hard look at their practices. We want to make sure that when consumers are told something to induce them to give up their personal information, their social security numbers, days of birth, where they work, their bank account numbers, that it is, you know, that it's truthful information and that information is handled um, sensitively and 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 kept safe. So in that case, the company agreed to injunctive relief to stop their deceptive and, and unfair practices and also agreed to a $104 million judgment uh, to provide consumer redress.
0: That sounds pretty significant. I'm wondering as well, like speaking more generally, are there uh, particular issues that are rather pressing to the FTC right now when it comes to auto lenders, captives, dealers, and so on and so forth?
1: Um, The FTC has been engaged on both a lot of enforcement work and on uh, uh, providing consumer outreach. On the outreach side, I would mention um, last year we did a workshop to examine military consumers and the issues that they face when they purchase or finance an automobile. And we did that late in summer, and uh, we, we included a whole slew of consumer advocates, government representatives, military legal service providers, and auto industry representatives themselves. And, um, and following the, the event last summer, we issued some key takeaways that were published in a staff perspective. And it talks a little bit about some of the issues that, you know, military service members face when they're buying a vehicle. Um, Close along with that um, initiative, the FTC worked with the Department of Defense to create military.consumer.gov, which is a website that has a whole slew of tools available to help our military service men and women prepare uh, for financial readiness so that they their consumer needs are addressed. Uh, so purchasing a car, or financing a car, all those um, consumer issues are addressed and, and guidance given in, in that website. We also have been doing a, uh, a survey of consumers, and, and I think this will inform some of our future rulemaking or, or uh, enforcement actions in the future. Um, but it's a qualitative excuse me, a qualitative survey of consumers who recently purchased an automobile and financed the purchase through a dealer. And so we employed the services of a a consumer research firm and interviewed uh, consumers about their experiences. And we talked to them about how they selected their vehicle, you know, what terms were available for purchasing, how they financed it, and really sought their input for each step of the consumer purchase and finance transaction and reviewed the consumers. Um, documentation to see you know is it consistent with what their understanding was what were what were their feelings and how did they approach the sale Um, the report the results from that study have not been released yet they are still analyzing the, the interviewees but I think that that will be something you know really interesting to share with the industry and I think it will inform kind of our future
0: activities do you have an idea of when it's supposed to be released
1: I don't, that's not something that I'm I'm working on directly, but I do think it should be in the upcoming months.
0: Okay. Well we'll have to be looking out for it then.
1: I think it'll be interesting to see the the results from that. On the the enforcement side of things, the FTC has had kind of a long history of doing large enforcement sweeps uh, that involve automobile dealers and lenders. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we did a a sweep called uh, Operation Ruse Control, where we worked with 32 different law enforcement partners, and we collectively announced more than 250 enforcement actions. Um, And these cases challenge both deceptive auto advertisements uh, that might involve like the Consumer Leasing Act or the Truth in Lending Act uh, violations, as well as uh, challenged challenged add-ons, which would be the practice of Adding charges on to uh, vehicle sales or lease or finance agreement for other services that might might be things like an extended warranty or a payment program, uh, a guaranteed automobile protection or or gap insurance, uh credit life insurance uh undercoating things like that th- things that are added on to the sale and we brought um a, a number of uh, of issues forward in in those sweeps, and I think we'll continue to do that. Um, one of the interesting cases that we challenged was National Payment Network, uh, and that's a company that was pitching consumers that, that if they purchased this auto repayment program, uh, they would be able to make their auto payments biweekly rather than monthly and realize all these savings. Well, when they were touting to consumers all the savings that they could realize they failed to disclose that because the fee for the enrolling in the program was so high, it actually canceled out any any actual savings. So we challenged their practices as deceptive, and uh, and the company agreed to refund uh, 1.5 million dollars to consumers and to waive nearly another million dollars uh, in fees for other consumers who had enrolled in the program. Uh, in tandem with that, we also challenged uh, Matt Black deal or Matt. BLAT, B-L-A-T-T, Matt Blatt dealerships, um, because these dealerships had uh, sold that program. They had sold the NPN program as an add-on, and the dealerships also agreed to a settlement with the FTC and paid more than $184,000 as part of that settlement.
0: So uh, switching gears a little bit, um, you know, uh, sort of when it comes to collections, which obviously is after you know the process of, of a, a loan or a lease has gone through, what do lenders need to know about being compliant these days for collections? Are, are there recent developments or decisions from the FTC on this topic?
1: I think that there's often some misconception on uh, the FTC's remedies uh, when a company is collecting its own debt. So the FTC and the CFPB, we both enforce the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, and it prohibits a range of practices by debt collectors. And these are all practices that have been determined to be unfair or deceptive. Um, That act, the FTCPA only applies to third-party debt collectors. Those are debt collectors that are collecting somebody else's debt and not their own. L- often lenders are purchasing or, or lenders are enforcing or, or trying to collect their own debt that therefore the FDCPA would not apply to them. Nonetheless, because those practices that are prohibited under the FTCPA have been determined to be unfair or deceptive, our Section 5 authority would apply. And Section 5 of the FTC Act does apply to first party lenders. So the same practices can be challenged uh, not under the FTCPA Act if you're a first party debt collector, but under Section 5 of the FTC Act. So I think sometimes um, first party debt collectors assume wrongly that the restrictions of the FDCPA don't apply to them at all. So I would urge them to pay attention to the FDCPA and the cases that result from that because those are practices that were, d- were determined to be unfair or deceptive. And uh, those you know, same practices could be challenged under Section 5 of the FTC Act. Um, and, and I think there was a second part
0: of that question. Uh, sure. I was interested in knowing, uh, you know, are there best practices for lenders to to show that they are being compliant? Oh,
1: so, so if you're looking to establish compliance, I think it kind of does depend on what particular rule you're you're trying to demonstrate compliance with, right? I mean, there's so many different um, provisions and and laws that would apply, if it's the FDCPA or if it's um, data security practices or fair credit reporting practices, I think ultimately there are a few things that, that you would do generally to try to establish that you're complying with the law. but And, and that would include um, being in a position to demonstrate that, that your company has effective policies and procedures in place to comply with the law. Having sufficient personnel in charge of establishing and monitoring compliance uh, with, with the law, um, you know, it's not enough just to have policies written down on paper somewhere if you can't similarly show that somebody is effectively monitoring and enforcing those policies. Um, Being able to demonstrate that when there is a violation of a law or a policy that's identified as occurring in the business, that it's treated with the appropriate level of severity. So oftentimes when we do investigations, yes, there's a written policy and and that's provided to us, but then when we look at When we do further investigation, we find that even gross violations of policies are treated really with indifference. You know, the the employee who threatened somebody or abused somebody or misled somebody is just verbally told, well, don't do it again. Um, Whereas if you're trying to show that you're compliant, you know, you really want to be able to show that you're taking serious measures in response to serious violations of the law. Um, the other thing that businesses, I think, can do effectively is to use consumer complaints. I mean, consumers who are complaining to your company about different practices are, are kind of a red flag. They're telling you what they think is wrong, and I would pay keen attention to consumer complaints and use those complaints to evaluate whether your policies are are um, doing their job, if if they're being enforced enough, if they're clear enough, if if consumers are you know feeling that they're being misled. What is leading them to that? To that, um, to that conclusion, and what can you do to modify or change your policies in order to ensure that you're minimizing consumer complaints and responding to them? And again, you know, just effectively monitoring and auditing your processes. Um, it's it's great to establish a whole slew of, of written procedures and policies and conformity with the law, but the law is not static and things develop or change or business practices change. And it really is important that your company periodically reevaluate its policies and make sure that they're effectively um, helping the business to conform to the law. But the other thing I think that businesses can do is is take advantage of some of the business guidance and materials that the FTC has available. So we have a public website, ftc.gov, and there's a business center section there. And from the business center section, you can get all kinds of uh, legal resources and advice. And you can see the press releases for our recent cases and and see how we've interpreted different laws and and the the types of practices that we've challenged. And we publish a... um, a business blog and the business blog is very short but uh, you know a couple times a week we will announce you know either a case or a a project or something that the FTC has been working on and it's distilled down to a couple brief paragraphs to tell you what you know what is important and how it impacts your business.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today, Dama. Separately, Dama's colleague, Jim Elliott, the Assistant Regional Director for the Federal Trade Commission Southwest Region, will be joining Auto Finance News for our upcoming Auto Finance Performance and Compliance Summit on May 9th and 10th in Omni-Dallas. Elliott will be giving a presentation called Cyber Scrutiny, Prepping for Heightened Security Demands. We hope to see you there.